yearbook internet sportscast. What a year for surprises. Literally this year, 2021, just these last several months, a real surprise, genuine surprises. Now, well, last time they scored five goals, and this time they only scored four. Legitimate surprises. The Phoenix Suns in the NBA. The Phoenix Suns are back in the NBA Finals. The Suns didn't make the playoffs for like 10 years. Do we have that right? Do we misread that? The Suns, did, and I apologize if we have this wrong. The Suns didn't make the playoffs for the last 10 years. And then the first time in the playoffs, they go all the way to the damn finals. Which, if we're right, that would be a record. The Suns are back in the finals for the first time since the 90s. The Canadians are back in the finals for the first time since the 90s. Not the same finals. The uh, Stanford women's basketball won a couple of national championships in the early 90s. And it just seemed like, unfortunately, they've always been great. Uh, it's supposedly a very classily run program, but Stanford women's basketball was doomed to just always be really good but never, ever win another national championship. And then they just went out this spring and won a women's basketball championship. They won a national championship with the same coach 30 years apart. Their last national championship was 1992. Then they win in 2021 in men's college basketball Baylor as it was erroneously called by our assistant producer Baylor was never good and then they won out and won the nat- they went out and won the national championship the basic rule in the big time sports in college the marquee sports is that in order to win a national championship you had to have been good at some point all right you were good and then you hit a losing streak you were good the last coach wasn't so great you hit a dry spell and now you're back That's how it is. But Baylor just blew that up. Baylor was never good. And now they're on top of college basketball. Clemson was the ultimate success story until Baylor and Clemson football won a national championship and then basically went into witness protection in the early 80s and was never heard from again until they were a few years ago. And now they're unstoppable just over the last several years. But it it seemed like Clemson was just doomed to be demoted to just good or very good for the rest of their history. And then now they're back to being a national power. So they were the ultimate success story until Baylor, which had never been any good, and there's a definite pecking order in college sports, and they came out of nowhere. And again, they're number one in college basketball. And we should tell you that none of this is part of the actual podcast. That's right. The podcast hasn't even started yet. Now it has. As we talked about, well, you know, I was going to say this time last year, but last year's Stanley Cup Finals weren't this time last year at all. They were late last summer. The playoffs hadn't even begun yet this time last year, in case you don't recall. So much less uh, the finals. The playoffs haven't even started. So anyway, for mysterious reasons of the universe or science, you don't need a highly paid goaltender to win the Stanley Cup. You definitely need an amazing goalie, or at least one who suddenly gets amazing for a few weeks during the playoffs. That's when people talk about a hot goalie, they say, oh, that team unfortunately ran into a hot goalie. That's what they're referring to. Those are the hot goalies. Uh, But most teams actually win the Cup for whatever reason. And we don't know the reason. The reason is not coming at the end of this story. For whatever reason, most teams actually win the Cup with amazing goalies who are paid less than a lot of their fellow goalies. The Lightning did it just last, well, summer slash fall year with Andre Vasilevsky, 
who is outstanding despite supposedly being the 28th highest paid goalie in the league. The 28th highest paid goalie in the league was your Stanley Cup champion. That was set to change this year because Vasilevsky was going to cross over. He was due a big bump in salary. But Vasilevsky has at least made the finals again, this time as the NHL's third highest paid goalie. No matter what happens, this is going to go the opposite of all the other trends we talked about. The rich guys are going to win out this time. Uh, this will be one of those rare years that goes against the trend where a highly paid goalie is going to be the Stanley Cup champion. Vasilevsky is third highest paid, and Canadians goalie Carey Price, who was on the wrong side of this stat last year, is the highest paid goalie in the league. The only way the trend wasn't going to be broken was if Price and Vasilevsky didn't play at all in the finals forcing both teams to use G backup as the backup goalie was called in the NHL video game. And both of those guys on both teams are a lot cheaper. Whenever someone comes close again, but loses again, the offseason storyline is always what now it's the same headline. It gets used a ton, but it's legitimate. But in this case, it's actually interesting. Not just something to say to kill time until the next regular season. The Islanders were the toughest on the champion lightning of anyone last year. And this year, the Islanders got even closer, again reaching a semifinal with the lightning, losing in game seven by one goal. So what now? They're so close, and we haven't said who they is in a couple of minutes, so we're talking about the Islanders here. They're so close, and they're doing it with the league's 12th highest paid goalie, but... Can they possibly get any closer with this roster? And can their unheralded 33-year-old goalie keep this up? No matter what he does, Islanders general manager Lou Lamorello rescued his reputation, which is the most important thing, after not adjusting to the times with the Devils in the last half of his Devils tenure and just not succeeding with the Maple Leafs. Lamorello turned the afterthought Islanders into a force that probably would have made the finals at least once had they played in a bracket setup where they could have avoided the Lightning. But whatever comes next, either choice is a risk. Try it again with the same guys. Shake things up to get over the top. Make changes. The Islanders have a lot of free agents. Plus, there's the expansion draft. Normally, the expansion draft would be an and instead of a plus. As in... The Islanders have a lot of free agents, and there's the expansion draft, meaning it's trouble. But the expansion draft could actually be an opportunity for the Islanders. It could be an opportunity for Lamorello to get rid of some salary and use the extra money he now has on someone else or an upgrade. Uh, The expansion draft allows Expansion Seattle, yes, there is an Expansion Seattle, to pick one guy from the list of players the Islanders leave unprotected this offseason. So the Seattle Kraken... Yep. Could wind up taking one of the, well, they will take one of the Islanders players and they they could wind up taking some bills off of Lamorello's books. What will New York do? NBA. Ooh, the New York Times ran the numbers and said the Bucks should just let the Hawks superstar player Trey Young Shoot from three-point range at will. The Times said to let Young shoot because Young scores so much that his spotty three-point shooting often gets overlooked. The Times points out that Young has not been grat 
as we said in rehearsal, meaning great, but he hasn't been great from three-point range at any step in this year's playoffs. And the times went further. During the regular season, about 44% of young shots came after he dribbled the ball more than seven times. So what that means is Young's doing a lot of moving around and a lot of ball handling before he shoots. Some of the NBA's best shooters don't do that nearly as much. Uh, also, did that was that English that we just said? Also, uh, when Young's wide open, he's still not grat from three. During the regular season, when Young's nearest defender was more than six feet away from him, so that the guy guarding him is at least six feet away from him, Young shot only 37%. The old neutralizes superstar by letting him shoot even more strategy, eh? This is not saying that uh, Trey Young's terrible. You know, he's a bad or overrated player. No, not at all. He's great. He's one of the league's best players. It's just as great as he is so far, he hasn't been a natural long-distance shooter. So the Times theorized the Bucks should leave Young open and encourage him to shoot from distance. Just don't let him anywhere near the basket. Which is, of course, easier said than done. For one, I mean, the Bucks can ignore him from long distance, but they still have to keep Young away from the long-distance spots where he's comfortable. So that's a brilliant strategy by the Times, but the Bucks coaches didn't agree and didn't use it in Game 2. Milwaukee opted instead to put more pressure on Young and try to force him into turnovers, and it worked. Milwaukee, Ava Max's home city, tied the series. In Game 3, the Bucks sort of half deployed the New York Times strategy, bizarrely leaving everyone on Atlanta wide open while also letting Trey Young get really, really near the basket. Uh, Young also responded in that game by making all the wide open and ridiculous distance shots that the stats said Young couldn't make even though Young thought he could make them. But the Bucks, completely different from Game two strategy, also worked. Two games to one Bucks, although Young played hurt for a lot of the second half while Milwaukee was coming back to win. No strategy needed in Game 4. Young was out. And the Bucks lost. And then we stopped paying attention. 